My name is Paul. I'm one of the associate pastors here at The Journey, and I get the privilege of kicking off our new sermon series for the summer and a little bit into the fall. And our new series is called The Questions Jesus Asked. We're going to be looking at uh, just some of the questions that Jesus asked that are recorded in the Gospels. And there are a lot of them, actually. There are over 300 questions recorded in the Gospels that Jesus asked. Over 300. Now, some of them are repeats across the, the different Gospels, but, but really there are so many, there are hundreds. We could do this series for years and years and still never get to the end of all the questions that Jesus asked. But we're going to settle on about 15 or so, and so for the next 15 weeks be uh, engaging with some of the questions that Jesus asked during his ministry here on earth. Now Jesus, it's a striking number of questions that he asked. Uh, he wasn't like Socrates necessarily. Socrates, I think the Socratic method was to only ask questions as a way to help people to discover truth for themselves. Jesus oftentimes just told the truth, said what he had to say, and, and revealed what was true. He didn't always ask questions, but really over 300 for someone who knew everything <laughs> and who could tell the truth at any time, it's a striking number of questions that he asked. And I'm really convicted by that because I'm someone who would much rather just tell you what I think and tell you what I have to say. And I don't know near as much as Jesus. So if he asks so many questions, I wonder as we become more and more like Jesus and as we engage with his questions during this series, I hope we'll actually become better question askers ourselves. Although that, I will say, would just be like a secondary benefit of this sermon series if we became better question askers. Because the point is not just that we would look at Jesus and try to imitate him or be more like him, do a better job. We're hoping that we'll actually receive the questions that Jesus asked. Allow him to ask us the very things that he asks in the Gospels. And that we would come under his questions, that we would uh, engage with his questions, and that they would have their intended desired effect on us as they as they engage us and as we come under them. The questions can have, a good question can have a number of powerful effects. I mean, for one, it can just help us uh, to discover things that are true that we might not otherwise discover. And we can kind of own the truth a little bit more for ourselves than if someone just told us. The questions can draw us out. Questions can help us realize what's going on inside our hearts and minds that we might not otherwise realize. A, a good question can draw that out, expose and reveal what's going on inside of us. What are our, our real intentions, our motives, our fears, our feelings, that kind of thing. A good question kind of bridges a distance between people. So a, a good question from Jesus doesn't allow us to, to keep him at an arm's length, but actually is very engaging. It forces us to respond, forces us to interact and not just have a one-way monologue, but, but produces a dialogue. It draws us into relationship, it draws, draws us closer to him. And a good question can get down below maybe the surface or presenting issue. A lot of the questions Jesus asked were in response to a question that someone asked him. Someone would come to him with a question or an issue, and he would come right back with a question to get at actually the deeper underlying issue beyond the, the surface and presenting issue that someone came to him with. So these questions can have a lot of powerful effects on us, and I'm hoping they will, and that we'll be transformed as we, as we allow Jesus to question us and as we come under the weight of his questions. So today we're going to start with the first question recorded in the Gospel of John. So according to the Gospel of John, the first question that Jesus asked, and this question is, what are you looking for? 
What are you looking for? And we'll find that question in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. You can open up there with me. And we're just going to read a short section from verse 35 down to 39. John chapter 1, 35 to 39. As the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about the 11th hour. So we'll dive into this a little bit. I want to first clarify a few things, what's going on in this passage and who's who. So the passage begins by describing John, and this is actually not, there's a couple Johns here. So there's John the writer, John the, the author of this gospel, but the John in this passage is John the Baptist. It's a different John. And up until this point in chapter one, John the Baptist has gained a huge following. He was a very powerful and famous prophet uh, who was pointing the way to Jesus. And so up until this point, John the Baptist has been saying, there's someone much more powerful than I who's coming. He's the very Lamb of God, the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. He's coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He's coming. And then Jesus finally shows up. This is his first actual appearance in, in the Gospel of John. And John the Baptist points to him and says, look, the Lamb of God. And then we have these two disciples who were disciples of John the Baptist up until this point. They came out and followed him, came under his teaching, and were learning from him. But now John the Baptist points to Jesus, and these two disciples leave and go and follow Jesus. These two disciples, one of them, we learn later in John, is Andrew, who went on to be one of Jesus' 12 apostles. He was the brother of Peter. So Andrew is one of them. The other one doesn't get named, but a lot of people think that he was actually the gospel writer, John, the apostle John. There's a few clues that, that would point that way, and one of them is that John actually makes the habit throughout his gospel of referring to events where he was there and referring to himself, but not referring to himself by name. And this might be one of those instances. So a lot of scholars think that the other disciple is John. So I may refer to these two as Andrew and John, uh, and I think it is John, but even if it's not, John's as good a name as any for an anonymous guy. So <laughs> Andrew and John. Andrew and John go and follow Jesus. They start to follow Jesus, and then he turns and he asks them this first question. And not only is this the first question, these are actually the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. What are you looking for? How interesting that the first words that John records Jesus saying, they're not an announcement, not a proclamation, or anything like that, but a question, and a very down-to-earth question. What are you looking for? In the New International Version, which your pew Bibles are, it, it has it translated, what do you want, which is all right. Uh, we might say that in our modern day English, but in the original Greek, the, the verb here is seteo, which is a very common verb in the, in the New Testament. It shows up over a hundred times and is often translated seek. Most of the time it's translated seek, like seek and you will find. Or it gets translated search for, like someone searching for something in particular, trying to find it. Uh, yesterday morning I woke up and I, I couldn't find my keys anywhere. And so 
I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I'm looking all over the house, like kind of tearing up the house, looking for my keys. Where are they? Where are they? Because I can't go anywhere without them. And if you needed a Greek verb to describe what I was doing, it would be seteo, looking for my keys. And if you saw me going crazy looking for them, you might ask me, what do you want? But more likely, you'd probably ask me, what are you looking for? So what are you looking for? It's the question Jesus asked. Or what, what do you seek? What are you seeking? Sometimes the old King James English is really awesome, and, and it translates this verse, what seek ye? <laughs> Sounds so epic and grand. What seek ye? <laughs> Although, actually, back in the day, that was very casual conversational English, which is what the new translations try to capture. What are you looking for? It's a very down-to-earth question. Or what are you seeking? Because these two disciples, Andrew and John, they are seeking. They are looking for something. And Jesus engages them with this question. So I want to look at four things that this question does. Four things that Jesus does by asking this question. What are you looking for? So first is that Jesus honors their seeking by asking this question. You see Jesus really honor Andrew and John seeking in this passage by turning towards them in it. They, they, they start to follow after Jesus, and Jesus does not play hard to get. He does not keep himself at a distance, but he draws near to them. And in doing so, he honors their seeking. It's a pretty bold thing for these two guys to just start following after Jesus. I mean, John was a mega celebrity, John the Baptist, and now he's pointing to some guy who he says is even greater than him, and in fact, the very Lamb of God himself, And these two guys just start to follow after him. It's a bold thing. You never actually know how someone who's a really big deal is going to respond when you approach them. I read recently about uh, talk show host Steve Harvey, who I always thought was a pretty down-to-earth guy, but this memo came out, was leaked recently, that he sent out to his entire staff that essentially said, don't approach me. When I'm in my dressing room or if you pass me by in the hall, do not approach me, do not speak to me. And this went out to his whole staff. So now we're talking about someone who's a way bigger deal than Steve Harvey. <laughs> Jesus Christ is on the scene, and these two guys have the audacity to just start following after him, and man, they find he is so approachable. Amen. Turns toward them, I mean, physically turns, stops where he's going, stops what he's doing to turn and give them his attention. What are you looking for? He extends A welcome to them, honors their seeking, extends friendship, shows affection towards them, takes their seeking seriously, and honors it. He's very approachable. And it is a bold thing for anyone to seek Jesus. And we need to know what he's like when we do that. And this is what he's like. Extremely approachable. Uh, The Apostle James writes in the book of James in the New Testament, this will be on your screen, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And this is also echoed throughout Scripture, this theme that, John, that James talks about. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is true of God and his character. And we see in this passage, Jesus embodies this truth. They start to draw near to him, and he draws near to them. And in doing so, he honors their seeking. This is what Jesus is like. It's a bold thing for these two to come after him, and he responds this way. And in this day and age, especially in our post-Christian New England culture that we're in, it's a bold thing for a person to, to step foot into a place like this, to seek, 
to come to church, especially if you're estranged from church, if you've never been to church, if you've never been around this kind of community before, to even show up here to seek God, to seek truth, to seek some kind of meaning or connection, to seek Jesus. It's a bold thing. And I think Jesus really honors it. And we need to honor it too. And I want to honor you if you're, if you're here and if, if you're new and if you're in a place of seeking, trying to figure out what you believe, what you think, who do you think Jesus is. It's a bold thing for you to come and I want you to know that this is what Jesus is like. And he takes your seeking seriously and he wants to draw near to you in it. It's a bold thing. And there's all kinds of seeking that goes on outside of church that doesn't look anything like seeking Jesus, doesn't look on the surface anything like spiritual seeking. In fact, a lot of times, I think some of our most broken and unrefined behaviors are actually acts of seeking, but just misapplied, or seeking maybe in the only ways that we know how. But when we seek things like intimacy and love, when we seek things like justice and rightness and fairness in our society, when we seek things like belonging and community and meaning and purpose, when we seek safety and security or when we seek transcendence or a connection to something beyond ourselves, all people are seeking these kinds of things. And a lot of times on the surface, it doesn't look anything like seeking Jesus or or any kind of spiritual search. But I wonder if Jesus in that kind of seeking would not stand at an arm's length. You're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Would actually draw near with a good question. What are you looking for? What is it that you're seeking? And to draw near in that process. And I wonder if we could do that a lot more in our own lives. When we see maybe people acting in ways that drive us crazier that we think might be so unrefined or so, so unholy or so unrighteous to actually, instead of drawing apart from them, to actually draw near and to ask, what is it you're looking for? What are you seeking? And Jesus honors the seeking of the disciples here, and he honors anyone who's seeking today. He honors just the act of seeking and draws near in it. The second thing that he does here by asking this question, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Is that he clarifies their seeking. So Jesus does honor people's seeking. In some ways, clarifying their seeking is another way of honoring their seeking. And this is a clarifying question. What is it that you're looking for? Let's get down to it. Let's, let's figure out what's going on here. It is a way of, of taking seriously their seeking and honoring it by asking more. What's going on? Let, let's figure it out. Let's engage. He engages with it. But at the same time, Jesus is not content to just honor seeking in and of itself. But Jesus wants our seeking to find a place to land. And he wants to clarify it. Because seeking for seeking's sake Honorable as it is, it doesn't actually end up leading us anywhere. Jesus is not content for us just to be seeking in general, or to be, to be meandering or wandering or seeking with no, no object in mind or no place to land. But he wants our seeking to result in what seeking was meant to do, which is to find. And he seeks to clarify their seeking, to get them beyond a general wandering, a general looking, a general searching, but to actually find because ultimately, seeking for seeking's sake doesn't, doesn't land us anywhere. And this is tough now in our day and age, where I think in our in spiritual seeking, we really like to keep our options open. Maybe not be hemmed in too much. We like to keep our options open, keep, keep all, all the options on the table in our spiritual seeking. But ultimately, that kind of seeking does not actually land anywhere. 
It's akin to wandering or aimlessness and ultimately lostness. And seeking was meant to to result in finding. That's what seeking is for. And seeking that doesn't ultimately land anywhere is akin really to just spiritual impotence. It has no power to transform, no power to save. Jesus wants our seeking to land and, and to result in finding, and, it, and he has a particular object in mind, which is him. Jesus asks questions to draw near to us and honor us in our seeking, but ultimately his desire is that we would find him. And that is what Andrew and John find. They find him. They say, this is such an interesting response they have. Where, what are you looking for? And they say, where are you staying? They're ultimately looking for him, not for some thing or some gift or secondary object or, or thing he can give them. They're looking for him. Like, where are you going to be? Where are you staying? Because that's what we want. We want to be where you are. Where are you going? That's where we want to go. Where are you staying? That's where we want to stay. This turns into an all-day thing and into an overnight. They just want to be where he is. And that's the kind of finding that Jesus wants for us, to find him. Not any secondary thing that we might want from him, but just Jesus himself. He's clarifying their seeking, and what it is that they need to ultimately find is him. And that's what what they find. He clarifies it. St. Augustine, or Augustine, depending how you say it, said that our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Jesus. And it's a gift that Jesus gives us to not just let us seek aimlessly forever, but to seek to clarify our seeking, to draw us to him. He does not want our hearts to remain restless. He does not want our hearts to remain wandering. He wants our hearts to find rest in him. In whatever ways our hearts are restless or the people we care about hearts are restless, it's good to honor the seeking that's underneath that, to ask, what is it that you're looking for? And if you're feeling restless today, I I would put that to you. What, What are you looking for? But ultimately, I hope that you'll find rest for your soul in Jesus himself, who said, seek me first and all these other things will be added unto you. This question he asks opens up relationship for Andrew and John, ultimately. It opens up relationship. They're looking for him. They're looking for relationship with him. And he opens wide the door to relationship with him as he clarifies their seeking. And then, beyond that, the third thing Jesus does in this passage, he honors their seeking and affirms it. He, He clarifies their seeking, gives it an object and the ultimate place to land, but then he also catalyzes their seeking. So in some ways, this is the end of one process of seeking, but it's just the very beginning of another. He offers them this invitation, come and see. On the one hand, they've found what they're looking for in this passage, but on the other hand, they're just getting started in their seeking. It's not like they... They find Jesus and they say, oh great, we found him. And they go back home and tell everybody, oh, we found what we were looking for. He's over there. 
No, they never actually go back home. There is no turning back. They are with Jesus from now on. And they are just getting started getting to know him, getting to know who he is, getting to know the, the depths and the riches of his power and his truth and his grace and his love. As, he, as we sang, he calls them deeper still into love for the rest of their lives. And way at the end, looking back, the gospel writer John, who was here and his, whose journey begins here, he reflects in, at the very end of his gospel and says, these things I've written down that you might know Jesus, but if I wrote down everything that he did and said, I suppose there would not be enough room in the whole world to contain the books that would need to be written. There would not be enough room in all the world to contain the books that could be written about Jesus, about the riches and the depths of who he is, of his love and grace and power and transforming work. They're just getting started. Their finding him is just a catalyst to a life of coming and seeing and further seeking and finding more and more of who Jesus is. I can relate to, to this from my own journey. I've been walking with Jesus now for about 20 years, and, and at this point I can say I'm every bit as captivated, if not more, by him and who he is than I've ever been in my life. And, and my coming to Jesus in some ways was, was the, the kind of end of a long and tumultuous seeking but was also the beginning of a beautiful and new kind of seeking. When I came to, to Jesus, I was a college student. And at that time, I was kind of a, a classic work hard, play hard kind of guy. Working hard, working actually very anxiously as a student to try and secure some kind of safety and security for myself going forward, to secure some kind of purpose and meaning and future for myself. I worked very hard. And I also played very hard at that time, in some very, I guess, misguided and unrefined attempts at seeking good things like love and intimacy and connection and joy and transcendence and a connection beyond myself. Working hard, playing hard, I was seeking all kinds of things, but, but it was kind of aimless, wandering and lost. And I kept a journal during that time, and it's funny for me to go back and look at it, because there are, there are a lot of points where I actually stop and, and write something like, why did I do what I did today? What am I doing all this for? What is the point of X, Y, Z? And I believe those questions were actually the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, like Jesus generating those kind of questions, asking me, what are you looking for? drawing near to me in my seeking and, seeking and looking to clarify it, help me clarify what it is I'm looking for and to land somewhere. And then he really embodied this kind of seeking. One night, I'll never forget, a January night during college, I was in Boston and my, my roommate Sebastian and I went out riding the red line in search of a good time. We were seeking something we thought maybe we found something. So at one point on our, on our train ride, there were these two pretty attractive young women sitting down uh, across from us on the train and, and made a quick eye contact and they, and they turned and said something to one another and, and, and got up and walked over to where we were and sat down. We were like, hey, all right. And they introduced themselves and one of them says, oh, I'm so-and-so and this is my friend and we're out tonight talking with people about Jesus. 
And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I just pouted and I slouched down in my seat. Like, Jesus, that's not what I wanted to talk about. They didn't actually talk to us much about Jesus. What they did was ask questions. What do you think is the purpose in your life? What do you think will happen to you when you die? What happens to us after we die? That kind of question. And my roommate was very combative and, and loved to argue, so he just argued with them and went back and forth, and I, I let him do it, and I just sat there silently. First, I was just sulking because they didn't want to talk about what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> but I was also silent because I was, I, I was very bothered by their questions. And I was especially bothered because I did not know how to answer them. What's the purpose of your life? Why do you do what you do? What do you think ultimately happens to us? These questions. I actually had no answer. And they probably walked away from that conversation thinking they had absolutely no impact on me because I didn't say anything. But nothing could be further from the truth. I was so disturbed and so troubled by the fact that I had no answer to those questions that it catalyzed further seeking on my part. And wouldn't you know, it was just a few days later, I met my first friends from a Christian fellowship on campus who invited me to come to where they gathered to study the Bible to seek Jesus. And I was so ready. I was like, you're kidding me. There's actually people like that here? When do you meet? And I showed up, and I'm so grateful for a community like them that honored my seeking in that time, that took my questions seriously, drew near to me, in my seeking. And on the surface, there were ways I acted that did not look at all like a serious seeker of Jesus. But they got under the surface and they asked more, what are you looking for? But they didn't just affirm and welcome and honor my my process of seeking. They helped clarify it. They helped me to actually find something. They helped me to land somewhere and to stop being lost and to stop wandering. They helped point me to Jesus Christ. And, and, and I can relate to Andrew and John at a certain point, just seeing Jesus, getting to know and meet Jesus, and just wanting to say, where are you staying? Where are you going to be? Where can I find you? Just captivated by him and who he is. All these secondary things I was looking for, love, intimacy, purpose, transcendence, safety, security, all these things and more, they were found there, but, but those are just secondary things. What I really needed to find was Jesus, and they helped me find him. And that catalyzed a journey that has only, only grown more and more over time. 20 years later, I, I'm still every bit as captivated by Jesus as I ever was. And that invitation of his, come and see, continues to ring out into my life and into our lives. It's always there. Keep coming. Keep seeing. There's always more to him. And wherever we are in the journey, we're just getting started. I love being part of a church where there are people on many different stages of, of their journey with Jesus. I especially love being here on a, on a Tuesday when our senior adult Bible study gathers. People in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who've been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive who come catalyzed to seek him, who are still, still captivated by who he is, who know there's still so much more to learn. They come with so much anticipation and eagerness, even after all these years, knowing there's still so much more to know of Jesus' love and power and truth. And I really hope to be like you when I grow up. I really do. But here's the thing. 
One more, I said there's four things Jesus does with this question. So far we've talked about how he honors the seeking of the disciples, how he clarifies the seeking of the disciples, how he catalyzes the seeking of the disciples, but this is not just about the seeking of the disciples. This is not just about our seeking. But this question, what are you looking for, is actually an act of Jesus seeking them. Andrew and John are seeking in this passage as they follow after Jesus, but theirs is actually not the most profound seeking that happens in John chapter one. To even make this conversation between them possible, let's zoom back a little bit and go back to the very beginning of John chapter one. What Jesus did to even make it possible to have this conversation in the first place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. This is Jesus. And then down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the ultimate act of seeking. Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God, who was with God, who was God in the beginning, through whom all things were made, coming and taking on flesh to live among us. Taking on a body that Andrew and John could see and follow after. Taking on ears that could hear their questions, taking on a mouth that could ask them questions, being an embodied person who could stay somewhere where they could ask, where are you staying? Jesus literally moved heaven and earth in search of them to be someone who could be found. He is the ultimate seeker in the universe. The most profound seeking of all time is not our seeking, but it's Jesus seeking us. There's another place in the New Testament where this Greek verb, zeteo, is used, and it's in Luke 19, verse 10, describing Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's the ultimate seeker in this passage. C.S. Lewis said that People like to talk about man's search for God, like a great and noble thing, man's search for God, but when it comes down to it, that's nothing more than like a mouse searching for a cat. Anyone searching for Jesus, anyone who knows Jesus, I think any of you who know Jesus know that however you sought him, however you might have found him, you ultimately were found by him. And the one you found was the one who'd been searching for you the whole time. That is my story. There's some seeking involved on my part, but ultimately finding Jesus for me was being found by him. Seeking him was actually searching after the one who'd been searching after me the whole time. And that's true of any of us who know Jesus. And some of us can point to ways where he sought us out. Some of us, some of you, like me, have a story of a lot of running away from God, of rebellion, where he just continued to search you out, seek you out, not let you fully run away until you came home to rest in him. Others of you don't have a story like that, but it's one where you look back and you can't even remember a time when you weren't conscious of Jesus and where you don't, you don't remember having some sense of his reality and his love in your life. 
And that is a beautiful and miraculous thing. And I don't want you to ever downplay the miraculous nature of your story. Your testimony might not be one of those hit rock bottom, pulled up by Jesus kind of things, but it is every bit as miraculous of a God who sought you out from the moment you were alive, before you could even think of him or turn to him, who was seeking you out from the very beginning. Every bit as miraculous and dramatic. Our search for Jesus is ultimately the search for the one who's been searching for us and continues to search for us and seek us out. And he continues to seek every one of us out, whether we're even seeking him at all, whether we've known him for a long time. He continues in pursuit of us, in search of us, continually inviting us, come and see, continuing to dig down below the surface of our, of our brokenness to ask, what is it you're looking for? And to have it be found and fulfilled in him. He is searching for us. And I love that we are in a church called The Journey, which when I first heard about the church, I honestly thought was a bit of a corny name, if I'm honest. But man, (laughs) I have seen the light. I love acknowledging that we are all on a spiritual journey because we are, and I love being a community where people can come to seek Jesus. I long for us to be a continued place that affirms and honors the act of seeking, that draws near to people as they take a step to draw near to God and draw near to us. I love that we're a community where people have found their seeking clarified, where there's a whole bunch of us who have newly come to faith in Jesus, had their seeking clarified. I I find so much joy being part of the Thursday Recovery Bible Study where a lot of people have had a sense of a higher power for a long time but are now knowing that his name is Jesus and finding the transformative saving power that's there. And I love being part of a community with people who've been knowing Jesus much, much longer than I have but who continually seek him, continually know that there's more and that urges and encourages me along my own journey as well. Because I know that there is no end to the coming to him and to seeing him for the rest of our lives. And all of us, wherever we are on this journey, he asks us, what are you looking for? He draws near to us, he draws us to himself, and ultimately longs for our souls to find rest in the one who's been searching us out this entire time. Let's turn to him now in prayer. Lord, thank you for embodying yourself Thank you for taking on flesh, taking on a body, taking on such a knowable form. Thank you for what that shows us about who you are, that you are not a distant God, that you do not desire to remain at a distance from us, that we don't have to wonder what you might be like if we were to draw near to you or approach you. But you show us, Lord, and thank you that you draw near to us in our longings and our hunger and our searching of all kinds. You don't keep us at an arm's length, but you draw near, but you also do not leave us to figure things out. You draw us to yourself. I thank you, Lord, for seeking us out. However much we know that or not, and I pray, Lord, that each one of us today would turn to you from wherever we are, receive your searching, be found in you. Thank you for asking us questions. And all of that shows about who you are, how you love us, and how you desire to continue to draw us near to you. 
And as we engage with more of your questions in the coming weeks, Lord, would they have their full transformative effect on us? Help us to know more of what's going on in us, but ultimately to know much more of who you are and to continue to find rest for our restless hearts in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.